1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Did you just like put it, don't leave it on the staircase. Welcome listeners to the Art Slice Museum Laboratories Division of Color Theory and Color Studies. Art Slice Museum LDCTC. I'm Russell Shoemaker. I'm Stephanie Duenas. So listeners, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is not your typical Art Slice episode. So if you're looking for a full serving of art history, check out our latest full episode. Well, uh, <laughs> we're actually out of commission for like over a month. Sorry, y'all. So the last full episode was actually another LDCTC episode, but try out episode 17, a fan favorite featuring Maria Marchines and Marcel Duchamp. Unless you want to listen to this one for Anyway, our Ponchimons <laughs> have been hard at work compiling data from your different experiences with colors listeners so we can try to better understand how us humans categorize color how we perceive color how colors exist how they behave how they impact us here in the art slice museum ldctc we're gonna touch on the history of color theory talk about the history of the pigments behind the paint then get into ours and most importantly your associations with those colors listeners as individuals as culture as memory because if you're an artist an art admirer a designer or if you make bootleg resin brats dolls (laughs) (laughs) color impacts you in ways that are obvious and also not so obvious so today listeners maybe isn't a true division of color theory episode the art slice museum laboratory subdivision of technically not a color (laughs) color theory and uh not not a color color studies as patron Anne, thank you Anne, for your patronage mentioned quote when declaring my favorite color back in the day i had many people say that black is not a color and I still wonder about that. Ooh, Stephanie, that just makes me so mad. I'm just all, <laughs> oh, I'm all riled up. Is your blood boiling? My, my blood is boiling. <laughs> well, we will get into all of that and uh, we might have a controversial opinion on that. We may be black is not a color, 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 color deniers. <laughs> Anne goes on to say, quote, I feel that black can be associated with many things, even contradictory ones. I mean, that's totally true. Think about black for a moment. We are thinking about a not a color color we are thinking about (laughs) darkness we are thinking about a long global history but also it shapes our world it literally gives shape to our world with shadow and shade physically but also like history and universe and associations and so many other things at high-heeled pancakes simply said black to her was infiniteness and at nanoflower basically had the perfect analogy quote i am a chemist and we use activated charcoal powder to decolorize solvents when looking into the large bag of powdered charcoal. It is disorienting because I cannot distinguish where the powder begins and the bag ends. 
That immediately stuck with me because we are dealing with infiniteness here, listeners. And there's no way we can conquer the entirety of black as a subject matter. We just want to graze the tip of the black ice iceberg (laughs) and impart to you, listeners, that black as a color, not a color, is so much more diverse than what we often give it credit for. Yes. Like Nano Flower's endless charcoal bag, this... Ooh, that sounds cute, actually. A charcoal bag. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) This is neither a beginning nor an end. Listeners... You all sent in so many responses and we won't be able to get to them all, but we threw your answers in our LDCTC color, not a color, associations (laughs) generator slash blender. Before that, just your friendly neighborhood reminder man here to say that you can find all of the images on our website at artslicepod.com. You can find some of the images on our Instagram page at artslicepod and hopefully within a week or two or three... You can watch it on YouTube. We've heard your many, many, many requests many for requests. YouTube videos with the images <laughs> as we discuss them. That sounds wonderful. It's great. We are trying to get those out quickly, but we have a two-person team. We're only we're a mom and pop shop that closes unexpectedly sometimes. Because we're popping and momming. <laughs> If you'd like to donate some time to help us get those out quicker, just go to artslicepod.com. Okay, you ready? Yes. Go. Comforting sophistication, warmth, undeveloped Polaroids, cartoon alien eyes, the unknown, chipped black nail polish, gothic subcultures, 2014 Tumblr, emo kids, crying mirrors, shuts, vinyl records, shadow shape shifting spirits, Halloween, pink apparel, leather jacket, confusing. Black denim vests with high-class black tie band tees, electric cold, screens shadow, that are turned off, Black olives, Friday, coffee, PlayStation 2, enveloping darkness, midnight, witches, black cats, fear, voids, with just metal the right music, the satanic bibles, non-recyclable plastics, velvet, smoke, tar, clothes, cigarettes, of mind, sinking, basic, opposite, moody, leather and patents, mascara, celebrities and Doc Martens, Wards, pure heroin album cover, nothingness, depression, everythingness. Everywhere, anytime, how endless tools going out. Chips! Chips! Put down the comb. Chips, put down the comb and just, can you plug in the <laughs> overhead projector? Have you noticed that Chips is just, like, always distracted now, just constantly combing their hair? Well, chips, no! I plug that, Chips. Chips, no! Chips, stop combing your hair. Unpl- unplug it. Unplug it. Desenchúfalo. Understand Spanish. It's time for that hot new segment on Art Slice, the one the listeners have all been waiting for, called How We Perceive Color, not a color, chemically. And oh boy. Oh boy. Black, huh? So, uh, woo! Uh, the age old <laughs> question is black a color? Does black contain all the colors? Yes. Does black contain none of the colors? Yes. I mean, you've been told, I've been told, we've all been told our whole lives that if you just mix all the colors together, it'll make black when in reality... Wrong. Very wrong. It makes a dark, grayish, nasty brown yeah. that is not a good color. It makes a bad color. Muy bad. Yeah. I'm sure most of you know by now that the English language has failed us here. As always. Because, because we have dark colors we call black. And we have darkness, i.e. the absence of light, that is also, I guess, <laughs> called black. Scientifically speaking, when you 
wake up every morning in your Grimes TM branded sensory deprivation <laughs> tank to an infinite weightless nothingness, that is because of the total lack of light wavelength penetration. Pigment, which is contained in what we see, is charged by those light wavelengths that then travel to our wavelength-specific rods and cones up to our brain that then define the shape and color of our world. To show you how solid the relationship of light to vision is, consider this. Stephanie, if you were to dunk a white porcelain precious moments figurine <laughs> in the most satanic matte black paint imaginable okay. and then shine an ultra-powerful full-spectrum 900,000K light on it, even this very dark precious moments figurine would cave to being overcharged with the light mm -hmm. of our Lord and Savior. And that precious moments figurine would reemerge a glowing, glistening gray. <laughs> but if you were to paint your room from floor to ceiling, including the windows, in the most beautiful, bold red, but then flooded that room with only the blue wavelength from the full color spectrum, we would suddenly see only black, only Wait, darkness, because there are no red wavelengths to see the red. Oh, see where I'm going with this? Gotcha. Flip on the full wavelength light, once again, we have a red room. That's some serious photon fuckery, okay? <laughs> Cut to some mantis shrimp in lab coats, snickering at us in the corner. <laughs> as they ride on their little clipboards, you know. Anyway. They don't have thumbs. But there's actually an easier way to try this out. Next time you're awake in a dark room or outside devoid of light pollution, flash your phone's light for just a few seconds, then shut it off and watch as those pigments that have been charged with light slowly dissipate as your eyes adjust once again to the darkness. Okay, now that we have all that out of the way, now that we know how light and darkness work, how do we perceive darkness or black in daytime with all the wavelengths running around freely? Digitally speaking, Digital. your phone your laptop, your TV, creates color by adding digital wavelength spectrums together through pixels. Light is usually full spectrum, and that combination of spectrums equals white to our brains. That's why you'll hear some hillbillies holding pitchforks say, well, white contains all the colors. For anything screen-related, <laughs> the darkness of your screen when it's powered off is as dark as you can ever expect it to get. But I know what you're asking me. Russell, it's daytime. I'm staring at my powered-off screen, and it still looks black to me, and the sun is hitting it. What, what, what's going on here? To make a physical object black in the daytime, so daytime black, daytime black. Oh, I love yeah, that. daytime black. Yes. <laughs> Instead of starting from darkness and adding light, we have to start from light and add some fucking darkness. Counterintuitively, this is achieved through the use of pigments, those things that show you color, <laughs> even though black is technically not a color because it is the absence of colors. Are you here with me? I'm trying. Okay. Yeah. The colors we see are a result of the pigment's ability to hold on to that wavelength of light in various degrees of intensity. And if you remember back to fluorescent yellow, oh, yeah. our last episode, Dayglow pigment held on to extra amounts of that intense light. Black pigment and darker shades of color are pretty good at absorbing those wavelengths and only giving you small amounts of that color back. Okay, imagine yourself, Stephanie, you're walking along, all right? Uh -huh. You see some beautiful graffiti, but it's obscured by shadow, okay? Right. It's in the shade. You get kind of a buffered or veiled version of those colors. And in some ways, it can make that color under the shadow even more striking because we're seeing it in a, a less light light. <laughs> okay. Many black pigments are unique in that the most popular carry subtle colors within them. That's why we have like a greenish black. Think of it, the little green is like nestled in a a little black blanket. It's like, oh, this is cozy. It's velvety. I like it. I'm falling asleep. But oh, there's a little bit of green out there. Well, and that's why we will die on a hill proclaiming that yes, yes. blacks in this specific instance are in fact, in our definition, colors. Come out of scientists. Nerds. Noise. Nerds. Actually, no, we like science. Just not you wavelength scientists. Get out of here. Get out of here.
All right, let's get into the history of black, an abbreviated version of the history of black, <laughs> starting with pigments. So black pigments date all the way back to prehistoric times. One of the most well-known examples of its use are drawings by Paleolithic artists in the Lascaux Cave in France of bulls and other animals, <laughs> as well as mystical creatures. Yeah, those shamans, uh, you know, finding some interesting mushrooms in the forest. Go on. <laughs> They saw some shit. <laughs> Cave artists used what would become the most commonly used black pigment throughout history. <gasps> Carbon black. Being made up of black substance left over from that dinosaur you fired up for dinner. Did you ever watch the Flintstones? Yes. It's, a le- it's 11. Okay. okay. But anyone could make a carbon black. Okay. <laughs> yes. But this process had slight variations over the last 18,000 years. (laughs) By burning different types of woods or animal byproducts, you would get different tones. Ooh, uh, you're most vegan. Sorry. Started with the dinosaur. Okay, so... So those charcoal remains would be ground and then mixed with a binder like animal fat to make the pigment. So because of this accessibility, we find it throughout history. Mm. As patron Ben C. put it, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Quote, the pitch black backdrop of a Caravaggio night scene, a flash of violence in a godless universe, end quote. That backdrop was carbon black and it's responsible for the godless glow of Caravaggio's chiaroscuro. In coconut abundant Polynesia, they would burn coconut shells. The Yupik people of what is now Alaska would use burned wood mixed with probably cute seal blood. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the Roman emperors ran on a popular wine for all platform. Notice oh, I did yeah. not say access to wine for all. I said wine for all. <laughs> so everyone from slaves to the ultra wealthy could get wine day drunk. But that left a lot of empty grape vines and crushed grapes. Yeah. So those were, of course, burned into pigments. Would Salmonet say that black pigment took on the deepness and richness of the corresponding wine quality. (laughs) In ancient China, ink developed from charcoal with water to a complex and rich mixture of charred bones. In ancient Egypt, black ink tattoos were created with breast milk and soot. And in 1991, a tatted up glacier mummy (laughs) named Atsi was discovered. He is thought to be 5,300 years old and his black tattoos are believed to hold pigment from charred quartz crystals. So this is a great example of black starting to take on cultural significance as at Nanoflower pointed out in the wolf god of the underworld Anubis mm. who was not only painted in black but also represented the afterlife. A lesser known Twilight character. At EC Going <laughs> pointed out the Greeks famous pottery featuring striking black and red silhouettes mm. depicting battling partying gods which sounds like a <laughs> 90s like TV show I think. By applying liquid clay or slip that would turn black while firing. And then we have the absolutely gorgeous Ajanta Caves of India painted with soot and fat from lamplit residuals and this process would eventually be used hundreds of years later in Renaissance painting becoming known as lamp black. It's around the medieval times that black started to take on this association with evil or death, mm. right? Old Christian Satan or the devil, <laughs> el diablo, okay. Okay, began yeah. to make appearances in Western art. Yeah, very fashionably tailored in horn to hoof black. It's good. It's good noise. Okay. All right. This is where some lasting negative connotations were cemented forever, like for now. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) There was, of course, the Black Death or the bubonic plague, which ravaged the world with black boils and oozed blood and pus in the 14th century. The allure, though, Stephanie, of black was too strong. It was too powerful Mm -hmm. because a century later. 
a new kind of printer's ink made up of soot, turpentine, and walnut oil set off the printing revolution which was first used to print the Gutenberg Bible. Around the same time, high-quality black dyes became available, and so the royalty from around Europe were like, that is a fresh look. It's fashionable in horn or hoof or horn <laughs> to hoof. So they decided to ban all but those in the upper echelons of society from wearing them. Carrying on that tradition was the little black dress of the 1920s brought to us by Nazi slash fashion designer Coco Chanel. Look it up. <laughs> underscoring the social status of fashionable wealthy women. Around the same time, Steve Paint Tube LLC began developing the first <laughs> synthetic black paint using synthetic iron oxides, a.k.a. Mars Black, which a lot of you love. A lot of you love Mars Black, which is fine, I guess. Mars like the Roman god of war and agriculture for some reason. (laughs) Anyway, both John Singer Sargent and Salvador Dali famously praised the creation of this Steve Paintu branded Mars Black. Claude Monet, on the other hand, Stephanie didn't care for it. Nah, he was all set. One day, out with his buddy, John Singer Sargent. They're munching on some Mars bars. They're painting together. On plain air, of yeah, course, yeah. outside, like the Impressionists do. And Sargent got to the bottom. He's like trying to squeeze out the last little bit of his toothpaste tube of his Mars Black. You know, he's cutting it open. He's scraping it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Monet's just like looking at him with this like, you know, like disgust on his face, just like he, <laughs> he ate something bitter. And he starts going on this diatribe about how you don't use black and how there is no pure black in nature. And this is something oh, Sargent God. had heard a million times I'm before. Sure. So he's just kind of nodding along, eating this candy bar up and down, left and right. No, yes. No, yes. I don't, I don't know. And then he's had enough of it. He's like, God damn, God damn, the sun is setting. Claude, I need the black Mars. I need it now. He's <laughs> I like, need to catch this darkness. I don't, I don't have any. And then I can't paint. I can't paint, Claude. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole ordeal. How do you do it? There's a lot of tears. They, they hug. <laughs> their, their beards were filled with tears. Oh, night. wet beard on wet beard. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, uh... <laughs> So the development of Mars Black was a big deal, okay? It had a greater tinting strength than any carbon black, and it had a smaller particle size that made painting with it easier as well as giving better canvas coverage, aka it was the most opaque black and it went unchallenged in its title for over a century. Fast forward to 2014 when British company Surrey Nanosystems created Vonta Black. Surrey. S-V. Surrey, please invent a black. Surrey. Surrey, please invent black. Okay, sorry. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Nope. (laughs) No. I don't know why the robot's telling the robot to invent a black. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, yes, they created the infamous Vonta Black, the blackest man-made pigment ever at the time which is made of vertically aligned carbon nanotube arrays, hence the name Vanta. Of course. Of, Vanta. Oh, of course. Where does the C? Oh, okay, so they skip the carbon, so it's vertically aligned. Nan- okay. Vanta black is definitionally not a color color. It's also not a pigment pigment. <laughs> Instead, it's a micro nano structure. It kind of looks like tiny coral reefs that trap light that would normally be reflected back to Just us. Just gobble it up. They gobble it up. Gobble, they keep gobble. it in there. I'm not sure where they put it. <laughs> Store it somewhere. I don't know. As Mad Rat Production points out, it's so good at trapping light that it can simplify items to their basic outlines. Mm. I love that. It was invented for practical uses like reducing atmospheric distortion in telescopes by eliminating nearly all visible light, 99.96% to be exact. Yes, listeners, pay attention to the points. Muy importante. (laughs) 
Ellie.joe.art said, quote, Vonta Black is so perplexing. It is existential. Mm. It is the void. It is nothing. I am looking into a portal to an empty, unfathomable part of the universe that I don't think I was supposed to see, end quote. But then <laughs> the highly litigious British artist, a name redacted, <laughs> also became entranced by it and Allegedly. thought, you know what? I should take a big ass dump all over Allegedly. this. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Whoa. <laughs> Did you not hear the highly litigious part you just said? So no one else can have it. What the fuck? Allegedly. So no one, so no one else can have it. Big dump Allegedly. of money. Dump. Oh, money. Allegedly. He bought the exclusive rights to it. As in, he is the only persona in el planeta Allegedly. who Allegedly. can Allegedly. use Vonta Black Allegedly. pigment for Allegedly. fine art Allegedly. purposes. Allegedly. As you can imagine, listeners, there was a huge uproar Allegedly. in the art world. In fact, you may have been a part of it. There is just something so wrong about only one person. Allegedly. Allegedly. On Earth with Allegedly. access to any one thing. Allegedly. <laughs> um, but I mean, joke's on a name. Redacted. Okay? Science is continually evolving and it was only a matter of time before a super black was created for the masses. Allegedly, in, in 2019, an artist alongside allegedly MIT scientists created a black that absorbs allegedly at least 99.995% of the visible light, allegedly, making it the blackest material allegedly on record, allegedly. <laughs> to show off its void-like qualities, the MIT team painted over an allegedly $2 million Yellow diamond. Lots of black dethroned. Alleg- allegedly. Dethroned. And then in 2021, Stuart Semple, along with thousands of people helping him, including Steve Payne, too. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> He preferred to stay anonymous, right? Uh, <laughs> created Black 3.0, which is, quote, the world's blackest black paint, asterisk. <laughs> Anyone can purchase this unless you are or are affiliated with. Name redacted. And then as of July 2022, the blackest paint available allegedly to the public is now officially, allegedly, the Japanese <laughs> water-based acrylic Masuo. Thanks to patron Alex D for sending a video of a Porsche covered in Masuo. Zach. Driving through Tokyo. It is beautiful. Unreal. It is beautiful. Unreal. It looks like a velvet blanket that I just oh, want to yes. like crawl into. Yes. All right. We'll post the video. Of definitely. Course. Definitely. We think black is universal and it should not be kept from anyone. Allegedly. Whether you are a 15th century European royalty or a 21st century European Allegedly. asshole <laughs> with a complex. Not going to say. Not going to say. Allegedly. What kind. Allegedly. Whoa. Hey. All right, listeners, let's get into the characteristics of black. Which brings up the issue of which black to even fucking discuss. So let's turn to the listeners. Okay. Listener Gray likes gray. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that was too easy. Uh, just line, yeah, just line them up. She says, quote, I think no black is created equal. Some are faded and almost gray. Some have a hint of navy. Mm. I prefer a nice dark, dark gray. The color of a faded T-shirt that has been washed a thousand times. Yeah, quote. but not 2,000 times because then you're just going to get That's a dark too- gray. You need a dark, dark gray. Okay. <laughs> and Dan Bino, Dan Bino says she likes a more aged black quote it reminds me more of a really dense crumbly good charcoal pencil Mm. love that description yes absolutely but there are also answers like that of sophia too okay we we named her sophia too 
because we, we have because we have another Sophia. <laughs> yes. We have a first Sophia, Stephanie. And we might have a second and third one. Actually. We're not sure. I... We haven't looked at the F versus P situation, but there are several Sophias, and the first Sophia in our mind is the OG Sophia. I mean, all you Sophias, you were just so wise. Sophia means wisdom. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, a sophist. Okay. New Sophia says she prefers quote black 3.0 for rich shadows on canvas and interesting formal explorations in sculptures. In graphic design, I prefer rich black for its intense quality, end quote. And a lot of you were siding with either Mars black or lamp black when it came to oil painting, gouache painting, whatever, which is a bit closer to the black 3.0 than the faded t-shirt dark gray gray, dark, dark gray gray. (laughs) Dark gray gray. (laughs) Most of my life, I've loved blacks that are not the neutral chromatic black because I want some depth, Stephanie. I I want to look at a black that is complex, that looks like I can just step into it. The kind of black that at Arlo Farts... Or Arl of Arts, I'm not sure. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, one. Arlo. It says, quote, black as the sea at night or the forests at night or a loss of orientation, end Whoa. quote. Excellent descriptive categories because you have colors like peach black, which is a carbon-based burnt peach pit black. It also has a warmness to it that you don't really see in like a chromatic black. You also have your German earth, which looks like black soil after a rainstorm. It's kind of an earthy, neutral, cool, I guess. And then you have colors like Payne's Gray, which can go either purple or blue, but they're really not black, but they kind of pose as a black. Big poser. This is all to say, depending on which black you're working with, it can be either warm or cool or just straight up neutral. Straight up nooch. Nooch. It goes without saying, but I'm saying it. (laughs) Blacks are saturated with the darkest achievable values. Now, as far as the question of are these synthetic versus organic, I read all Almost all of the colors we mentioned as organic. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think some (laughs) could go either way. Okay. There are others like pitch black that may not seem synthetic, but they do seem mechanical to me, if that makes any sense at all. No, that doesn't make sense. Well, it makes sense to me. Okay. (laughs) When we get into these super lab made blackest of the blacks, blacks like 3.0 or Masuo, I definitely start to read them as synthetic. Okay. Because even when I open my eyes in a dark room, I don't feel like I'm in an endless void. That's because our eyes are very receptive to even a handful even like a single light photon or two. And even with Avanta Black, if you look at it, you can still see the edges, like the light shining on the edges. It catches just a little bit of it. And one thing we have not touched upon is opacity in black. So Mm -hmm. most black paints absolutely need to be opaque to function. But that's not to say that there aren't any intentionally semi-opaque or even semi-transparent blacks. I mean, there's Van Dyke Brown, for example. That's an incredible example of a semi-opaque black. I love Van Dyke Brown. We had to ask ourselves, listeners... How much would have changed had we had access to the blackest of all blacks, right, throughout recent art history? Patron at Ezreal's Art. Thank you, Ezreal, for your patronage. Thank you. Sparked this query in our black souls. (laughs) Because she mentioned Agnes Pelton's use of black to make the brightness in her work even brighter. Mm. And also Van Gogh's smoking skeleton because, quote, that's a badass use of black. (laughs) End quote. Hell yeah. (laughs) I I totally agree. Both are incredible uses. Van Gogh was likely using a dense-ass ivory black for the backgrounds. Super chocolatey. Yes, yeah, it's like frosting, right? <laughs> and Agnes, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if she had just layered thin color after thin color mm-hmm. after thin color to reach a blackness, to reach a depth. When we saw Agnes Pelton's painting called White Fire a few yes. months ago in person, yes. it, it was it was glowing. It was glowing. Absolutely. It was glowing because of how deep that black was around it. So would absorbing the extra 0.05 
five of white <laughs> really change things? I think it would. Yeah, it would. Uh, but maybe not for the better. Like, right. yes, these new blacks are amazing, but they only really do that one thing. And these older blacks have so much more versatility. Mm-hmm. So you, listener, or anyone, as an artist, you already have access to these more interesting blacks. 100% agree. No surprise. I don't think they replace the need for the spectrum of black we already have. Right. But it's like fluorescent paint. It's a great tool to use at exactly the right time for right. exactly the right reason. But it, it's never going to be a replacement. All right, listeners, our pantry moms have handed us a clipboard full of your answers. So let's get into them. Question number one. What are your immediate thoughts when you look at black? Russell, no wrong answers. (laughs) You want to lead us off here? So I'm a big fan of the spectrum of different blacks, just like we discussed in the last segment. I don't know if you could tell. (laughs) I always think about how unique they are, especially when compared side by side. And they're wildly different. Yes. And that always makes me think of the black funeral themed dinner party in the novel against nature. Oh, yeah. It's described as having a a swimming pool filled with ink surrounded by basalt stones, (laughs) a deep mahogany dinner table with black tableware. Ooh, that's your jam. That is my jam. (laughs) And and, in talking about black jam, like licorice jam, olives, caviar, black pudding, truffle gravy. It's it's a really great book. Just like pretty much every book worth reading, there are some problematic moments. Don't throw it on a fire. Uh, But the entire (laughs) book is just saturated with color descriptions. Sounds sumptuous. Going off that theme of the many, many, many variations of black is Ben C.'s stream of dark consciousness. Okay. Quote, London black cabs, black label luxury, noir movies, Hmm. goth makeup, faux leather car upholstery burning to the touch on hot days, Hmm. dominatrixes, nuns, I love that order, black tie, (laughs) black sand, funeral cortex. The darkness before the movie starts. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. My art teacher who told us never to use black paint because, quote, within a (laughs) quote, quote, quote. (laughs) there's no black in nature, end quote. Me nodding along, but using it anyway. So Ben Ben C's teacher was also Monet or like from the school of Monet. (laughs) School of Monet. Yes. And Emily Ann, who famously hated the puke color. Oh, God. Emily Ann, every time I hold my breath, every time I hear your name on the show now. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, shadows, midnight, creativity, depression, commitment, fear, running and jumping onto your bed as a kid as you turn off the lights so the monster can't grab. You end quote. I feel that one so hard. <laughs> I was a little worried Emily Ann would also hate black, but it sounds like she's okay with it. I think anyway. At theremin poisoning says fertile loamy earth in which seeds may germinate. Ooh. Loamy earth is the deep dark brown that can straight up look black because it's so dense with moisture and nutrients. Which patron Saint Jupson, always the poet. Thank you, Saint Jupson. Compared darkness to denseness as well, but he described it more as richness. Ooh, rich is in cheesecake. <laughs> And then proceeded to also list conduits for densities. So like scrying mirrors, cracks in the ground, implying this kind of rich experience beyond our surface level senses, which I just totally love. Yes. 
Longtime listener, original Sophia at Sophia's Const Canto. I hope I said that right. <laughs> this is Sophia one. This is the first Sophia. Yes. Speaks to the oppressive nature of near constant darkness and flat ass black clothing <laughs> of her Scandinavian hometown. Black is boring in real life. The norm is to wear all black. Most of the things I use every day are black. I often wear black eyeshadow and my guitar is black. <laughs> Most of the year, the weather here is fairly dark as well. That's one of the reasons why I paint with a lot of color. When I use black in art, it is to create a dramatic effect. But in real life, black doesn't keep my attention. It's just a safe bet, end mm. quote. The black that we see most often, it's that mechanical, soulless, techie culture, Stephen Jobs black. <laughs> I feel that, Sophia one, and I don't know if it's where I'm at mentally now, but I miss color, and it's finding its way back into my wardrobe because the black you're describing gets boring. Couple that with seasons of Scandinavian metal levels of darkness. <laughs> And I, I would be curled up next to a sad light most of the year. Same. I always wanted to be someone who wore a, quote, uniform, right? Okay, like a yeah. monochromatic capsule wardrobe situation, like Russell thinks he does. Like I do, <clears> yes. <throat> but that's hard. That's hard. In case you're wondering, listeners, it's it's gray, black, and sometimes green. <laughs> I'm sorry. You forgot stone. Sto- stone is in the gray stone. category, Stephanie. It's brown. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not. If anything, it's a tan. It's that's If anything, brown. it's a tan. That if is anything, brown. it's a gray tan. That's a, oh, my God. It's brown. Okay. Okay. Listener New Sophia said... The other Sophia. Yes. Yeah, this is why we had to separate them, listeners. (laughs) Quote, In the U.S., we tend to view black as the dark, pessimistic contrast to the light optimism of white in every way. In so many of our metaphors, it's implied that light as truth is the desired virtue, and in contrast, implicate the evil nature of darkness. This is not the same across all cultures, which is fantastic and important. I try to be critical of this particular symbolism, because I find a lot of beauty and elegance in black and in darkness. And she went on to recommend the book In Praise of Shadows by Tanitsaki Junichiro and The Eyes of the Skin by Juhani Palazma. I butchered all that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I would too. Thank you, Sophia, to new Sophia, second Sophia. <laughs> For the book Rex, I mean, uh, it, it gave me something to read while we were out of commission. Both books are about how we navigate and interact with the world around us, including how darkness impacts us. In Praise of Shadows, it, it's immensely quotable. And I think that's because he was a seasoned author. He just had this way with words. So it was written in 1930s Japan as the country was modernizing away from traditional architecture that embraced natural light and, importantly, darkness. Oh. L- look, there were just so many good quotes in this, but here are two little snippets. We find beauty not in the thing itself, but in the patterns of shadows, the light and the darkness that one thing against another creates. We seek our satisfactions in whatever surroundings we happen to find ourselves, to content ourselves with things as they are, and so darkness causes us no discontent. We resign ourselves to it as inevitable. If light is scarce, then light is scarce. We will immerse ourselves in the darkness and there discover its own particular beauty. Essentially, he is urging readers not to get swept up in the Western proclivity to annihilate the shadows, to not forget about how important darkness is. But that's also true for artists, designers, creatives, because darkness gives the world shape. Mm. It defines as much as it veils. I was going to be a dick. Like, uh, not get swept up in the Western proclivity to annihilate everything. I was gonna, like, <laughs> everything. <laughs> 
Bonus round time, listeners, because you have no access to Vonta Black, we've decided to ask you what you would do if you procured an, an undisclosed amount of illegally acquired Vonta Black. For this bonus round, we're thinking big. Okay. Big. Vonta Black in places we could visit. Vonta Black out in the world. Vonta out in Black the wild. Interfering with things it should maybe not be interfering with. And at Ezreal's Art kicks it off. And she is taking us to the middle of the desert where she'll paint a giant canvas with Avanta Black on a giant easel. And I imagine the Google map cameras will eventually capture it. And soon <laughs> enough, something will happen. Like there'll be a buzz on the internet. Oh, no. Google maps will try, try, try to like blur it out because maybe it's like sucking in too many like pixels. I don't it know. It can't though. It's crashing computers. I don't know. Which I think is going to spark a desert conspiracy. There's going to be conspiracy types gathering around trying to find this giant canvas. But I actually like the idea of taking any excess paint you have left over uh, to just cover the tumbleweeds, you know, just find some tumbleweeds, paint them, and then just Whoa. let them free, let them roll. Okay, oh, so you God. have these little orbs of darkness just traversing your local state highways. Wreaking havoc. They're very destructive, <laughs> very are, destructive. Yes. Yes. And that sounds horrifying. At underscore KateRM says she would cover a mirror because it would create a portal to another dimension. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, it's like a scrying mirror that you can walk through. What would actually create a portal is at the Indie Popsicles answer. She said, quote, pouring it on the floor of the local hardcore show venue. You know, the kind of grimy place <laughs> with a bunch of stickers yes. covered the bathroom yes. walls. Yes. Beer bottles and yes. cigarettes yes. crushed outside. Yes. yes, this is my favorite answer. Ugh. I'd love to walk through that. Oogie, onto possibly <laughs> my favorite answer of the lot because I've actually had very vivid dreams. This is this sounds scary. Okay. Of this fountain flooding Rome. Okay. Okay, so at a starving architect said, Into La Fontana di Trevi, oh. I just want to see how the black oozes from it. And oh. quote, yes, this fountain is gorgeous on its own, right? Just for the optics, like the light stone playing off the light of the clear water. Just beautiful. And then, yeah, to see like Vonta fucking black just pouring out, contrasting the stone. Like, oh, yes. Dude, I love the idea of the black starting to splash, like backsplash on Ooh, the fountain. Yeah. And it's just like, it's deleted parts of the fountain. I love that I idea. love that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then it splashes on the tourists also. Bye-bye. Well, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crowded there. Wishes come true there. Just saying. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's keep the aquatic theme going. Okay. Ellie.joe.art says they would pour Vonta Black into a pool. Quote, <laughs> how will they catch me if I'm swimming in the void? Question number two. Outside of art, do you associate this color with any specific memories? So, listeners, predictably, you were all over the map on this one. <laughs> That's why we love to ask this question. But we did find that some themes arose out of the darkness. <laughs> Turns out, a lot of you went through some emo slash goth phases, whether it was high school eyeliner, like at Ezreal's raccoon eyes, <laughs> watery dot soups, oversized black fur coat. Okay, which my whole question here was, Stephanie, when does it become a gorilla suit? <laughs> At what point does the oversized black faux fur coat become a gorilla suit? There's nothing wrong with no. wearing a gorilla suit. I'm just saying, like, at what point? I know. Yeah. That's why I avoided black fur coats. <laughs> I, oh, I'm serious. I tried it on once and I'm like, God, I almost look like a gorilla. I don't know if that's the look I'm going for. It is fabulous, but you're, you're right. There's you're like walking a- through the costume store <laughs> and a, an employee runs up. You're like, I'm sorry. You forgot this. You forgot this. You forgot It's your- like a gorilla head. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you forgot your cabeza. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, we're not making fun watery soup. I, I used to get granny t-shirts at the thrift store oh, yeah. and have them taken. Sequin granny t-shirts usually have tigers and have the like shoulder pads taken out. <laughs> And, and like, like t- golden girls t-shirt basically yeah so i had look 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 you can't see me but look we're we're good okay all right stephanie can we check in real quick with the viridian killer though sure. and i know in the last episode she described her soul as being black okay <laughs> so vk had this to say quote i didn't know i was goth until i hit my 30s when i looked around my apartment and started checking all the boxes end quote <laughs> I want to pitch this movie idea to you, Stephanie, okay? okay? And yeah. it's going to be not based on Viridian Killer's life because I can't share the royalties probably. Maybe I can. I don't know, VK. We'll talk. Um, <laughs> but I do really love the idea of a movie shot in firsthand perspective. We see through her eyes going about her day, working in a crisp, clean lab. Okay, she's a chemist, all right? She has to wear the bleach white lab coat. Uh-huh. The laboratory is glossy. It's glistening. It's beautiful. It's reflective. But she's always feeling off, Stephanie. Okay. Always feeling a little bit detached from her hesitant coworkers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Checks out. No one will ever make eye contact with her. This is a movie about frustration. This is a movie about the unknown. So we don't know, Stephanie, until the penultimate moment where she catches her reflection in the mirror <gasps> and we just pan to her hands uh-huh. with black nail polish, of course, touching her face. Like, is this my face? Is this my face? Is this my face? <laughs> And we see this, like, you know, black curly do, jet black hair curly uh-huh. do. And in the mirror looking back at us is someone who looks just like Susie Sue from <laughs> Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. Robert yeah, Smith. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I Robert s- Smith? What did I say? Both of them? Are they both staring back at I mean, they're kind of, they look the same. <laughs> they look pretty much the same. St. Jupson recalls a memory, quote, flashlight tag with friends as a kid hiding in a bush in total darkness, hoping not to be caught. Closing my eyes since opening them did no good because it was so dark, I assume. My heart beating in my ears. Dun, dun. Thump thump, thump thump like that. So I imagine it. Thump thump, thump thump. thump your heart thump, has right? ever beated in your ears? <laughs> the sudden. That's not normal for it to be constantly beating in my ears all the time. Thump thump. Right now. Thump thump. Thump thump. <laughs> the sudden snap of a twig as I lunge up and away from the person who's quote it. <laughs> That's fun. It's yeah, like it really. A thrill, is. especially as a kid. I definitely remember an instance where I played hide and seek as a kid in the dark outside. Okay. I was hiding among some low hanging branches and I stood still trying to be quiet. Mm. And as my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I noticed the yellow light from a street light nearby. It was subtly spilling through the branches and onto like the dried grass and the pine needles around me. Yes. My clean white sketchers that I cleaned every day suddenly looked (laughs) crispy white tennies suddenly looked golden brown, different kind of crispy. (laughs) But then I heard someone approaching. And so I started to run like Jupson. I smacked head first into a branch and I had a huge cut on my forehead. It really oh. hurt. Uh, I had a scar on my forehead for like two weeks and I got called Harry Potter and it was really sad. What? I don't have a scar. I'm looking for a scar. It's not there. Squinting at me. Yeah. The chronic elephant dot block spot mentioned the night sky without pollution. There is nothing like seeing the sky without light pollution. Just little whole punches of light from the stars. Yeah. You know, nice. but also it's terrifying when it's completely overcast too. Yes. My friends and I camped on this raw beach next to this dense redwood forest. So driving in, just imagine like headlights and we can barely see the road. Just these gnarly, dried, tan tree branches, like casting shadows on the branches behind them. It It was like the wrong kind of kaleidoscope. 
(laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and there's no moonlight. There's no stars. It is completely overcast. And after we set up tents, like, we're young. And when you're young, you can't die. (laughs) So we decided to leave our flashlights and phones at the campsite and just walk as far as we could into the pitch black darkness until we reached the ocean. Just, like, refocusing your senses. It felt like it took a year to get there. But, you know, eventually we hit the water. It it was probably a pretty stupid thing to do. But Yeah, but great story. It was really fun, yeah. <laughs> Mad Rap Productions one up to you, though. Okay. With the darkness and the icy cold water. Quote, I had a temperature of 104 and had to be rushed to the hospital and put in a tub of ice water. Okay. I saw black. Uh. <laughs> Nothing, but not absence of something, just a feeling of completion. All was present. All was done. It was over. And now Mad Rap Productions listens to our podcast from the afterlife. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, that's like a new take on the sublime, right? Facing the overwhelming knowledge that we are tiny and the world is so much bigger and so much beyond us and finding like some comfort in that realization. Question number three. When you reach for black, why are you reaching for it? How does it show up in your artwork or design? So many of you had a similar story to Carissa at the Indie Popsicle, a lovely creator conversation podcast. Thank you, Carissa. Quote, my middle school art teacher taught us to try and avoid painting or coloring with black, rather instead to use dark greens, blues, purples, or browns, end quote. But a lot of you were like, fuck that. Fuck that shit. (laughs) I'm using it anyway. Let me stick up for everyone's high school art teacher for a moment here, Stephanie. (laughs) The student grade black paint. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It is awful. And awful paint has a place in my heart. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Like Chronic Elephant compared it to oversalting a meal. And the Viridian Killer pointed out, quote, straight out of the tube, it makes your art flat. However, I use all sorts of blacks all the time out of the tube, my own mixes. If you use... As you're remixing the... Okay. (laughs) Just threw me off. You're fine. I was just like, what are are you doing? So anyway, if you use the right black, it can electrify your color. Howard Hodgkins is one of my desert island artists. Right. You know, the artist I would take to a desert island. Okay. Oh, I didn't know what that was. I mean, he's dead, but I take him with me. Gotcha. Dig him out. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll regenerate him. Uh, And he uses black often, like very, very often within these sensory landscapes, always at the right time perfect. In a painting like Snapshot, it's 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 a very heavy use of black. <laughs> and there is this slick, almost mirrored black that looks like a stage in the foreground. And I'm guessing like this poser black, a Payne's gray black <laughs> vignette over all of it. And it makes you feel like you're watching a hazy memory from like a stage. Like you're watching your own memory in, in an abstract production on Broadway. Ugh, these are just gorgeous. I was always shocked when he first showed me his paintings how much black he uses. And it's still vibrant. But he's using it like a finishing piece, right? Like icing, Mm -hmm. but it's integral, integral icing. It's like me pointed out with any black, you need a plan. Or if you're going to use it freely, you have to know how to respond to it. Exactly. Sound advice. Emily Ann speaks to that chaotic balance. Quote, my art frequently becomes overwhelming. It loses a focal point. That's when I reach for black. The juxtaposition of the wildness of colors and the rigidity of the black is just satisfying. Mm. (laughs) It's a forceful pigment and demands attention, just like my big feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I mean, like wonderfully put, Emily Ann is pointing out something that we haven't really discussed yet, which is the chaos of color. Mm. Without even getting into the like bleach white and black clothing 
Puritan roots of Western countries. <laughs> Color can, it's, it's really overwhelming, and black and white can often act as these polarities to, re, to kind of like rein everything in. We are being very painting specific so far. Yes, you mostly right. use other materials. So how? And I know you do cool stuff with light and color <laughs> and black specifically. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you do? What, what's your secret? What's, what's your special sauce, Stephanie? What's the sauce? The Sassanese special sauce. Okay, so Sassany, will you tell us about your sauce? That is the shoe brand. Okay, I thought it was Sassany. I don't know. A tool that I go to time and time again is cellophane. Usually it's iridescent cellophane, but sometimes I use a dark purple to layer, right? Which turns anything underneath it really dark. So you are literally playing with wavelengths. Yes. Like God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, I do feel powerful, though. Sometimes, though, if I need something quick, I'm like, I need something dark. Uh, I, I, I will I will resort to straight out of the two black. I will mm. do it. It happens because uh, it's quick. Okay. But I will use cardboard surfaces and that cardboard just sucks it up completely <laughs> and it becomes flatter than flat. But to counteract that, I will overlay it with a pearlescent pigment. Okay. That way it plays with the light. I'm making a little solar system. Again, I feel powerful. Well, it looks great. Thank you. Anna, also, who works in fibers, uses black in a way that I never thought of, which is similar to painting, adding dark mohair into her knitting to enhance other colors. So so there are also purists, too, who love black for what it is. Smoke.artwork says he uses black to, quote, make bold, eye-catching work to make the shadows or contours matter. Love that. Black from charcoal lights me up. Your name is Smoke. So that does make sense. <laughs> yes. I personally get lit up by copy machine black that is <laughs> running out of ink. Very specific, I know. Uh, similar to my favorite aged fluorescent paint that is cracked and peeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. St. Jupson, who works three-dimensionally, loves, quote, the dour and proper sort of mood. Very proper. Very proper sort of mood. A soft black paint. I feel like I gotta, I gotta I get an NPR voice for this. A soft black paint can create. Ooh. So black painted furniture, deep, dark Japanese urushi lacquerware. SJ, you need to look up the Black Temple of yes. Northern Thailand. Yes, yes. You would dig its design. It's abilities. You would probably just move in there. Yes, Bonus round, numero dos. Vanta Black and you listeners, <laughs> like a medication ad, um, <laughs> use at your indiscretion. Original Sophia, Sophia Uno, turns the Vanta Black onto herself. If I'm being brave, I would cover myself in Vanta Black and then sit down somewhere, maybe in the middle <laughs> of the city, in a big museum, in a park, oh, and just no. do nothing. Maybe read a book. So there's just like a floating book. <laughs> That would be my next question for Sophia. Yes, what book are you reading? It's going to stand out a little (laughs) bit, a little bit. Love it. The Viridian Killer is thinking a little more practically. I'm dyeing my t-shirt because I need a shirt like that, okay, in black, just to brag to the other goths. LOL. End quote. <laughs> She's going to have a goth off at the, with the other goths at the goth convention. Yes. So they go to the goth convention every year, obviously, yes. to you know talk about the latest in goth trends. Brooke said she would cover, quote, one of my already dying houseplants, oh. in parentheses, I'm sorry, it had to be this Brooke, way. Brooke, Vonta Black does not cover your sins, Brooke. <laughs> I love it. Brooke, I, I will lend you this one favor, okay, because Anne said that she would cover her robot vacuum in Vonta Black, so you can get one of those to suck up your, your Vonta Black plant sins. Anne says, quote, for some reason, the idea of a void cleaning my home is very amusing, end quote. <laughs> 
Question number four. Does it remind you of any artworks, packaging, pop cultural items, listeners? You sent in so many answers so for many. this question that there was no way we could fit even a small portion of them in. Listeners, our, our black cup of black pigments overfloweth. <laughs> we will be posting all of your associations to Instagram over the next few days. But there is still something so jarring about encountering an art object that is over overloaded with tones of black. Not only does it call your attention, but it chews it up and it swallows it whole and then it thanks you for it. It can be powerful. Me recalls, quote, going to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum when I was eight, I saw El Jaleo by John Singer Sargent and for the first time, I felt speechless looking at a painting. Hands down, made me fall in love with art. I wish I could say more without sounding saccharine, but I can't, so I won't, end quote. <laughs> I mean, saccharin's great. I mean, that's that is so much better than the. Uh, it was fine. It's okay. <laughs> El Jaleo is an almost monochromatic painting of a lamp lit room at night. There is a dancer doing some very practiced, very professional dance. Like, like it looks like the dance would have a name, Stephanie. Yes, and, you know, uh, like it a. <laughs> She's surrounded by musicians and active spectators, all with these beautiful black cast shadows behind them. Flamenco. (laughs) Oh, so it's called Flamenco. Yes. Okay. I actually had a similar experience with this work, uh, (laughs) not at age eight. So this work is tucked away in its own little alcove and is installed behind a scallop arch reminiscent of Moorish architecture. Moopish architecture, yes. (laughs) And if that wasn't extra enough, there is a mirror installed next to it so that it enlarges the space, Mm. completely takes over your periphery, totally transporting you to the time the painting takes place in. Mm. It took me back to a summer I spent in Spain and actually witnessed this dance in person. Okay, the the flamenco. Yes, flamenco. I think this particular part is called a jaleo. Oh, okay, okay. It's a Sin mentioned Georgia O'Keeffe's cross paintings, which Mm. are actually some of our favorite. Black cross from 1920. 29, I think was one of our favorites. The way it dissects the composition is just so stark. I actually really like it when artists use compositional devices to block you out of something. I was mentioning redacted black marks a second ago. Yes, yes. (laughs) There's a sunrise and rolling hills peeking out from behind the like cross section of the cross. I'm not sure which is which. The arm, where the arms go. Okay. (laughs) But this is a symbol of death. Like it is obstructing my enjoyment of that moment. It also really goes against her curves, right? Like Georgia O'Keeffe really loved to paint those organic curved forms Mm -hmm. and this is just so striking against that. Right. Some other works that a lot of you pointed out are Mark Rothko's black paintings. They just smolder from edge to edge within the Mm. canvas almost portal-like. It's as if you could stick your hand in it and see the pigments swirl around it like charcoal in a glass of sparkling water. Oh my god I love that description. If you're patient the nuances will reveal themselves to you. Add Reinhardt's black abstractions were an even subtler version of that slowly emerging emerging color you'd find in a Mark Rothko, if you can believe it. They weren't as emotive. They were more like a magical eye prints, if you remember those. But not <laughs> at all colorful. Okay. <laughs> and there's like, you know, there's not like, you're not going to be rewarded with a gecko on a skateboard with sunglasses <laughs> that says rad, you know, if you let your eyes adjust. Like, Rothko gives immediately, and you're rewarded for then looking at it longer, even if you're not in the mood for what he's sizzling, right? He's still sizzling. <laughs> Add Reinhardt, on the other hand, he 
makes you wait. Like, he brings the art Karen out in you. <laughs> like, the art Karens that leave us reviews, Stephanie. Ready to call the manager because he's not giving you the experience yeah. you were expecting, okay? Yeah. And actually, that's exactly like the art Karens that leave yeah, us reviews. It's exactly like, yeah, 100%. But, art Karen, you have to give it time, mija, okay? Because geometric shapes eventually reveal themselves, okay? In all of these subtle shades of black, further proving how intriguing black can be. It's like a glowing black. Like, I didn't think darkness normally glows, but here we are. The thing is, Albert Pinkham Ryder was doing this in the 1880s very very differently, of course. APR's paintings aren't definitionally abstract, but he was a weirdo outsider who would just walk around at night to observe the darkness. <laughs> He worked in really unadvisable, experimental (laughs) ways. And that's, you know, why you see cracks all over his paintings now. To get that glowing darkness that he's known for, that uh, that writer moon and mood. (laughs) Writer mood and moon. Both. These are small paintings, so they're very easy to overlook in a museum, but they open up this enormous world when you look at them. They're nebulous. And because he is painting the last sun rays of the day or just a sliver of moonlight, the contour shapes have this weird misshapen black hole gravity to them. I mean, for real, these like shift on you. Like, I swear, if I blink, they'll change. (laughs) I don't think you can truly comprehend, struggle with, and then successfully translate darkness to a glow without being an abstract thinker, Mm. without spending all that time out in the darkness, just observing how color subtly shifts. Speaking of subtleties, as the Viridian Killer put it, quote, Black and white art can convey as much power and feelings as a colorful piece, sometimes even more because of its simplicity, end quote. Many of you mentioned Kathy Kollowitz, right? A mm. lot of her prints are so heartbreaking. Yeah. She uses light and dark incredibly well, like APR. It has its gravity, but it's pain gravity. Mm. The content is emphasized when you reduce or eliminate color. It really makes you pay close attention to mark directions, like subtlety of negative shapes and texture. And this applies to all the mediums, right? Not not just painting. Right. For example, in analog photography, Wrong Wrong, Daido Morayama, mm. Graciela Iturbide, they all use contrasting black and white shapes to direct your eye around the composition. And right. it might take you a minute to distinguish what's what, but I love that <laughs> because it's an illusion. Yeah, you kind of feel like you're you're in a blender. In a blender. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> and all of that... <laughs> <laughs> can translate to ink, right? Some of you mentioned Chinese sumi ink paintings, which reminded us of Seiichi Hayashi's negative shapes that uh, veil yeah. and unveil, Beautiful. right? Cloud you in this inky mystery. Psychedelic inky mystery. Black and white psychedelia. I love yeah. it. Yes. And then, of course, there were many mentions of Kazimir Malevich's black square painting from 1915, a canvas painted in all black. Mm. Okay, this work once duked it out with other modern art for the coveted first abstract painting title, It Lost. Um, When it was first exhibited in St. Petersburg, it was installed high up in a corner of the room, which is where a Russian Orthodox icon of a saint would be placed in the typical traditional Russian home. Big Mm. deal, big deal spot right there. Clearly, this painting meant a lot to him and it became his logo, right? That's what we do as artists. We find a little motif or something, and then we just cling to it. My brand, bitch. Right. Don't he say. signed his paintings with it, signed off on emails with it, black square <laughs> emoji. Also, a black square was affixed above his coffin as well as marking his grave. A lot of black squares. It's extra square. Yeah. Also, it's, it's yeah, it's not, maybe not the best logo in hindsight. Go on. <laughs> 
<laughs> Turns out, speaking of hindsight, we are still learning about this work, okay? Later x-rays revealed another composition and then also a more sinister connotation. Yeah. An inscription was discovered under a top coat of paint referencing an early monochromatic cartoon of a racist joke from 1897 uh. by Alfonso Ale. <laughs> okay, Casimir may have had a racist chuckle about it, right? Kind of laughed in Caucasian for a second. <laughs> he had a good old white guy chuckle. And then he painted over it. Maybe forgot about it or not. Maybe it was baked into the symbolism for him this entire time. Either way, this seriously taints the work for me. It was. Let's be honest, it's not a very interesting painting to begin with. What we've been trying to establish in this whole episode, listeners, is that black is not one dimensional. It's mm. anything but. And unfortunately, it has been applied derogatorily as an umbrella term to describe people based on their skin color to treat them as less than human. And many black artists have made work in response to that. E.C. Going and Dan Bino said that black reminded them of the figures in Carrie James Marshall's paintings. Mm -hmm. KJM is a contemporary black artist who we actually covered in the summer of 2021. He uses the blackness and actual black paint, taking control of how they are depicted, how we see black people in art, right? Throughout history, as we touched on earlier, black as a color, at least in the West, has been seen as rebellious, as a threat to the status quo. This extends to black people. There's no denying it. There mm -hmm. were the Black Panthers who wore all black and protected their community from violent white oppression or more recently, Black Lives Matter. And it goes back further than just that, too. I mean, one of the oldest associations with the color black is Kali, the Hindu goddess of death, translating to she who is black. Kali is a liberating force for the often illegal esoteric subsect of Buddhism and Hinduism. Tantra, it's not a sex thing. It's not just oh, a sex okay. thing. Okay. It's a sex thing here in America. It's, just, it's more than that over there. <laughs> but even today in Latin America, Santa Muerte looking like the grim reaper and often fully clothed in black is the fastest growing religious figure for the most marginalized sectors of society, including migrants, rappers, drug mules, and the LGBTQIA plus community who also seek a protective liberating force from an uncertain future. Which brings us to the final bonus round, wah, Stephanie, wah, wah. where T says she would pour Vonta Black over the White House. Yes. Quote, both as an aesthetically interesting contrast and as a way to destroy something that upholds the legacy and symbolism of institutionalized white supremacy. Yes. Burn <laughs> it. Don't stop at that. I love that. Love it, T. I would then like to add an inflatable bouncy tombstone. Okay. <laughs> That says what? America 1776 to 2022 hashtag Vonta Black. So, <laughs> mic drop. I don't know. I want to bounce on a bouncy tombstone. Oh, well, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this fourth installment of this little color mini series within a podcast series. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't do this without you. This was a lot of fun, right, Stephanie? Yes, so okay. much fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was really hard Loads. to put together. All right, guys, greetings from my closet. Here is the first quote. That was the voice of Patron at Ezreal's Art. Thank you, Ezreal, for lending us your lovely voice. If you'd like to lend your voice for Art Slice LLC branded purposes, <laughs> <laughs> or if you'd just like to listen to our four second slices, which is almost a pie, depending on where you cut it, depending <laughs> on how you decide to cut Big the pie. Slice. Big slices or tiny pie. Maybe it's a small pie. Oh. Maybe it's a pot pie. Anyway, we have Agnes Pelton, Bernini, Kandinsky, and Dorothea Tanning. As well as hours of other bonus content. Museum visit photo dumps. Blooper reels. 
and anything else we feel like throwing in. You can do all that by joining our small but excellent group of folks over at patreon.com slash artslicepod. Maybe cancel that subscription to like a whatever, like I don't know what you have, what you, like a boutique cat candle collection. <laughs> That comes every month. I mean, I, I'm sure the candles are nice. Yeah. But they are a fire hazard. And you could better serve the community by supporting Art Slice. Anyway, it helps us pay for the stuff we need to make Art Slice. Even a dollar or four a month is super helpful. If you can't contribute monthly like that, we also have some stickers, tees, pins, and totes all up at artslicepod.com. If you can't do that, you can help out by sharing the show, liking, subscribing, leaving us a review on your pod player of choice. We got some art history Karens, who, <laughs> who left us some uh, shitty reviews. It's fine. It's fine if you don't like the show, but maybe just yeah, move on. Everything we do here is intentional. So that just means it's not for you. So the winner of the color raffle was Cobalt Blue. It's submitted by me, not me as in me, but Emmy. the listener, Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> the Viridian Killer and Dogwood Finch, they all submitted Cobalt Blue, so they all won. They all won. They all won. You're all winners. <laughs> uh, the survey will be up at artslicepod.com. If we've taken it down, you've missed your window. Sorry. Uh, thanks to everyone who reached out to us while we were out of commission. As it goes with our two-person operation, we just hit a brick wall. Okay? Yeah. We got sick at different times, and the episode we made just wasn't up to our standards. So we had to switch it up to this episode, and it's only the two of us. It's not like we can really make that switch quickly. Yeah, sometimes these episodes are like artworks that just aren't working yet, and we don't they're not ready to be like shown to the world. So, no. <laughs> so we had to like put it away because we were looking at it too long or listening to it too long. We will be back with a new episode very soon. Hey, if we're ever late again, might we recommend the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast? We discovered it, I think, like a month or two ago, mm. and we've just been burning through some episodes. It's very enjoyable. A wide range of just different conversations with creatives. I'll let Ken describe the show. Beep. Big shout out to Art Slices, Stephanie and Russell. This is Ken Vellante from the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And gosh, it's tough to steer you away from... Uh, a wonderful Art Slice podcast, which I enjoy so deeply, uh, so marvelously entertaining. But what about supplementing your art experience with a little bit of art, a little bit of philosophy, and a little bit of, I don't know, uh, strangeness? Something Rather Than Nothing podcast has over 150 episodes featuring a wide array of artists, uh, athletes, creators, thinkers, believers, wanderers, and ask the questions, what is art? Why is there something rather than nothing? And why do we create? So uh, head on over in any of your uh, podcast formats, Apple, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, etc., etc. Also, big presence on Instagram under something rather than nothing. Love to have you listen. You will find that your compliment of our art slice with a little bit of something rather than nothing, you will be complete. Love to all. Thanks again to Rose of Loyalty Freak Music for letting us use the song I Need to Do It to Be Alive by Soft and Furious from the album Diving in the Self, which is one of hundreds of incredible songs they've made. You can pick it up for Name Your Own Price on Bandcamp. It's a great album all around. Yeah. Or you can just go ahead and support Rose's mission to create queer, free music against capitalism and fascism on Patreon. We really appreciate their work because, honestly, like Art Slice would not be the same without having music in it. Definitely not. So we will see you next. Uh, 
next time, listeners, uh, the Art Slice Museum Division of Color Theory and Color Studies still do not have a sign, don't have a, t- a sign <laughs> up. If you saturate your door with yellow paint that you got from printer ink, <laughs> then you see a yellow door and paint it black. Stephanie is waving goodbye. Bye. Bye. We might be feeling a little blue next time. Bye.